Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 369. It's a bonus episode again. I was really pleased to get this conversation in because I've known Rene Richardson, who's my guest, for a long time, as you will hear. Um, but I haven't caught up with her in a while. And I was delighted when last year she kind of became front page news in the podcasting and audio world because she stood up and made a stand for some important things and made others make a stand for some important things. Um, and a lot of you will know I, I work with and do some writing for a magazine called Pod Bible. And it really, it caught our attention and made us stand up and, and, and proud to, if, if you're a fan of podcasts, head over to podbiblemag.com. I mean, the interviews we've had, each issue has a lead interview and we've had everyone from Adam Buxton to Ramesh Ranganathan to The Receipts to Drunk Women Solving Crime, Edith Bowman, Fern Cotton, uh, I said Richard Herring, Stephen Fry. We've had Stephen Fry. Um, yeah, we've had loads of amazing guests. The people just do nothing. Lads gave one of the best interviews we've had in there. They were hilarious. Yeah. And, and this latest issue, the February issue, um, is Guilty Feminist fr- front cover. So yeah, you can check all of that out at podbiblemag.com. You can read it all for free. You can get the Pod Bible podcast for free. This has now turned into a big Pod Bible advert. But yeah, and when all that happened, yeah, I thought it was really exciting that this change was happening in the audio industry. But kind of as we were getting close to being a year on, I thought now would be the perfect time to check in with Rene and see where it all stands and how it all feels, if it felt like a moment or a movement. And the obviously the goal is a movement. So, yeah, we, we had a really good chat. It was lovely. Rene runs Broccoli Content. I mean, we talk about all of this, so let's just get into the podcast. This is episode 369 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Rene Richardson. in a one headphone out because I realise after about five episodes of Zoom records, I, I, I happen to hear a clip of one and I'm screaming at the guest, just completely not realising. Exactly, because I normally, yeah, I normally wear like over the ears and I realise the couple that I have done, I'm like, I'm shouting, why am I shouting? Yeah, I did ex- exactly the same. I've really, I realised that in like studios and that, when doing music, I'd always go one earphone in and one out because you want to hear your own voice. But it didn't yeah. occur to me on, on podcasts. So I'm just screaming yeah, at it, these yeah. poor people. I think all podcasts had that level of shouting. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm joined today by Renee Richardson. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Just, you know, surviving. Yeah, how's it all going? Because, um, I mean, b- being in the podcast world, you will have known how swift things have changed and how the, the the movements have gone i know prior to this i remember when you were doing some stuff with um my friend warren borg and it'd be very much you turn up and record you turn up to to companies or buildings and do podcasts for them and just be f- fully integrate their needs mm. that's changed right 
Because yeah, you're kind I mean, of like, right, here's what we can do, here's what we can't do anymore. Yeah, it's so funny because we we were in an office. We were based at, in Sony Music in yeah. Kensington. And literally, like, I think two weeks before the offices closed, we got a studio. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then the office was closed and we didn't realise, because I was off that day. <laughs> uh, yeah. When they were like, the office is closed, you're not going back. So I got my laptop biked, but we didn't think ahead because I, I didn't, obviously we didn't know what this was. And so how we long left it loads been. of, yeah. And we, so we left loads of kit in the cupboard in the office. Yeah. And then we never was, went back. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was just weird. We instant, because we were in production on a show, our show Anthems. So like, yeah. I think the office closed maybe mid-March, right? Yeah. So the series started in March. So we were still doing that and we just had to keep going and just were like, oh my God, we left all the stuff. We need to buy a new kit and then we need to bike that to people's houses. And yeah. so we just literally kind of just adapted. Sorry, you will hear footsteps. And that's my dog because he that's... likes to walk around oh, when that's amazing. recording. Uh, what kind of dog is it? <laughs> Not Westy to take Yorkie. us off track completely. Yeah. It's a Westy Yorkie cross. He is a Westy oh, Yorkie cross. But whenever I press record, he's like, ah, oh, let me drink water and let me eat. <laughs> and I'm like, what? But yeah, but yeah, so we just literally picked up and just started. Wow. Like, it was such a weird year, 2020, because you just had to keep moving. It wasn't until the Christmas break that we just had. Or that, you know, in December or whenever it was. Yeah. Like, that we took a break and could look back and be like, oh my God, we made it. Yeah. Ish. And this, yeah, yeah all this stuff happened. But we didn't, I didn't have time last year. It was literally adapt, adapt, adapt. Completely. Did you find that you had more demand all of a sudden? Because the lockdowns were a thing where suddenly a lot of people wanted to make podcasts but with the greatest respect to some of them, a lot of them didn't know how to make podcasts and didn't necessarily yeah. have the right kit. So I, I I saw a lot of podcasts pop up and then improve quite quickly because initially they're mm. popping up going, oh, I'll just record a podcast. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> you might need a little bit more help. Exactly. So I think we did... I, well, I had lots of, I had work for hires in the, so we do work for hire where it's just not a broccoli show or yeah. not my company show. It's just, we do it for the person. So we had a few in the pipeline already. And because we're a small team, we can only take on, there's only so much you can really take on. Yeah, of course. Um, so we had, there was just one, one out of the blue and we were like, wow, that's random. And which we made, it's not out yet. So I can't talk about it too much detail, okay, sort of sadly. Yeah. But like, we did have to, it was more just adapt and we adapted. So we we noticed like, you know, loads of people getting laid off or people, you know, like lots of freelancers, their gigs were going and things like yeah. that. So we instantly decided to do a, like an anthem, a home version of our show to create commissions. So we created 30 commissions for people around the world that they basically got paid to write their piece and they could record it on their phone or if you had a mic, you could record it on your mic or whatever. Because yeah. we wanted to do something to help people, like contribute to, you know, create a job basically. Yeah. Because that's what our, that's my, the, my main thing about the company is create jobs. Yeah. So that was how, that was the new project that we didn't see coming, basically. It's, it's, it's what I love about you guys and we'll, and we'll get on to obviously the big thing that you 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 pushed and, and did amazing with last year, but... What I, I love about you guys, on, on knowing that you've been in podcasting since the early days, those who have all been doing this all know that podcasting has always been about community and, and everyone bringing each other up. It's why it became such a cliche that 
every podcaster would be on every other mm. podcaster's podcast and they'd all be all these crossovers because that was the point of it. And whilst it's been exciting to see the, the, the boom in podcasting and the huge growth, the, the worry has always been making sure that there's people who are keeping the, the essence of podcasting at the forefront rather than, oh, we can make money from it now. Again, mm. we've we were both here in the days when you couldn't make an awful lot of money from yeah. podcasting and then yeah. it's grown and grown and grown. But the worry is that as bigger companies get involved and bigger celebrities or whatever else, it becomes just um, a platform rather than a community. And I think mm. what you guys do at, 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 at Broccoli Content is is really focus on that community side of it and make sure yeah. that we're all doing it for the right reasons rather than, oh, there's a load of money to be made because that's the thing as well a lot of companies Mm. will come in and say we've got a budget and we want a podcast and that's easy to go i'll take your budget (laughs) rather than think what can we do and what how will it benefit and what's the long term you know yeah i mean i i like money yeah Um, (laughs) i like earning money but my main thing was so i obviously i met you like way back in the super super early days and for the listeners that don't know pip was actually distraction pieces was the first show i ever signed um at acast yeah and that was my first job in podcasting and back then i realized there were key companies doing well yeah in audio yeah and i saw it kind of looked around the industry and i was like but i could see that because i'd spent 15 years in film and tv and i could see that actually podcasting there's a chance for us all of us to shape an industry that actually is equitable and inclusive yeah we have a chance because it's separate from radio and we kind of don't need to bring in the old rules but i could see that there were big companies still like production companies who make both who were still bringing the radio rules to podcasting and kind of keeping the door shut so when i like maneuvered my way through the companies and stuff and finally started my own i was like i like money but we can all have money. It doesn't need to be just for me. Like, I think there was a lot of the, oh, you know, there's, especially like, because I'm black and there's, you know, there's not many POCs in audio professionally. And it's like, some people might have that, you know, the feeling of I can be the only one. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I was like, let's hold, like open the door, put down the ladder and let's try and make it so that there's just opportunities for all of us. Like, and, and not just black people. I mean, everyone. Yeah, and I completely agree. And you bringing me into Acast at that early stage influenced my outlook going forward on that massively. Like, the guys at Acast know that I've had other companies come and offer offer more money or offer this or that. But the thing I liked about being at Acast was the, exactly as you say, it was about all of us coming up together and, mm. and you know... The, of rising tides and all that kind of thing for everyone, rather than companies who were going, we'll give you X amount now. It's like, right, well, my thought, I mean, I had this in my record label days. When me and Dan Lassac were signing our our initial record deal, we were really uncomfortable with some major labels offering us a huge advance because our thought was, I'd rather release the record and earn that money so, Mm. so I know I'm worth it, rather than feeling, well, I've got a... I don't know, a safety net. You've given yeah, me the yeah. money already. Now, if it's a success, great. If not, I've got the money already. I'm out the door. So that that kind of ethic has come into in a, along the way on podcasting. But that's key to one of the things that you really brought a lot of attention 
or two last year. So obviously in, two, in 2020, um, there was a lot of people on the streets demanding not only equality in the workplace, but equality in the value of life, you know, mm. <laughs> like literally the value yeah, of life. Literally. So, and declaring angrily that black, black lives matter. And it was around that time that you and the team at, at, at Broccoli put forth the Equality in Audio Pact and encouraged other, other production companies and simply people in this area to pledge along. Um, mm. I mean, we'll go through the five points because it's really easy, but just starting off, what was your kind of pr- process to get in there, I guess, to saying, look, yeah. I've been, because you've been doing this all along. So it yeah. was that thing of, <laughs> at what point did you decide, I need to make other people publicly commit to doing this rather than just I'm doing it and hope everyone else does? Well, because like you said, I have been doing this the whole time. And so what happened was, like, after um, George Floyd's murder and um, Amy Cooper, it was kind of like the same day, the Amy Cooper, you know, Central Park video and yeah. then George Floyd. And it was kind of like, it was two sides of the same coin. And which which is, and you know, we were forced to be inside. So we had to look at it because like there yeah. was no distractions because we pretty much the world was on lockdown at that stage. And so everyone saw it and everyone was reacting. And I was having multiple conversations with like lots of people. There were lots of, because um, I'm like part of the Sony group now. So there was lots of like all the black employees had a call and things like that. And I was on and I was just like, now's the time. I think now we've got people's ears. Yeah. Because I've been trying to say, hey, guys, let's make audio <laughs> diverse for years. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, actually, I think people are ready to hear it now. Yeah. And so everyone was talking about the Blackout Tuesday, which was June 1st or 2nd, and everyone was going to post the black square on social media. I didn't do that, and my company didn't, because we're like, this is us forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. So we didn't do that. But I was like, but this day, we will put out five pledges that every single company, no matter size, so if you're an individual podcaster, if you are a big conglomerate, you can do these five things. Yeah. And so I I had three, I think I had two or three of the points. Like it was just, I went to bed and I was like, I have to do something that night. And I thought of like two or three points. And then I came, well, to the video <laughs> on the Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I said, t- to I the turned team, on the office. <laughs> I turned on the office <laughs> in my living room and I spoke to the team and I was like, we need five points. And I just was like, five points is a good number. So I was like, we need two or three more points. We need to get it to five. And they have to be actions that anyone can take. So I gave them like a couple of hours. We got the rest of the points that we made. um, We asked like Barney, um, Sony to make some assets for us. And then we were like, and then everyone was like, how are you going to put it out? And I went, I don't know, tweet and at some people. (laughs) And so that was was the plan. On Tuesday, you tweet, you at some people. I assumed some people I knew would sign. And then that would be it. Yeah, and it it took off, and I didn't expect that at all. But it was right that it we did have it was the time. Yeah, basically, it, it really did a t- a t- take off. I'm just going to go through the five points now to save people have to go and and look them up. But again, if you go to the the broccoli content website, you, you can sign the pledge and be mm. you know publicly part of it. But n- number one, pay interns and no longer use unpaid interns. Number two. Hire LGBTQIA+, black people, people of colour and other minorities on projects not only related to their identity. Three, if you're a company that releases gender pay gap reports, release your your race pay gap data at the same time. Four, no longer participate in panels that are not representative of the cities, towns and industries they take place in. Five, 
be transparent about who works for your company as well as their role, position and permanency. So mm. they're, 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 they're five really easy, easy things to take in. But what I found was they really make you look at yourself and question yourself. Because obviously I don't run a production company, but I've got a podcast and there's other podcasters on the network. They're all kind of independent. I don't earn anything mm. off of them. But still, it's a family and there's mm. there's some responsibility there. But more so, I work with the guys at Pod Bible, um, And it was Jordan sometimes known as Lady J or maybe formerly known as, um, that really brought this to our attention. And we had big discussions about it and ended up doing an Instagram Live to discuss it because, like, for me, again, although I felt I could tick all of those boxes but also use more awareness on those boxes, I could be more aware. One of the things that we started discussing was realising that the focus of representation and equality has to be at the front rather than just part of the the package. And I realised that I've always tried, again, you'll know from back in the day, I've not got a team or anything. I get Mm. people come and pitch me guests. I I go after guests. And I've always tried to have a good mix, gender and race-wise, essentially. Um, But it's a week-after-week thing. You see who's about, you do what you can. But it occurred to me that, because you get all these stats on your listeners and everything else, you are naturally drawn towards the biggest names. And in the UK, many of the biggest names in entertainment, it's not representative of, Mm. of, of the variety of cultures. And that's because of the years and years of how... TV was, how radio was, how film was. Yeah. Hopefully all of that is changing, but it doesn't change overnight. So mm. it, it made me even realise on that point that I need to change where my levels of, 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 of decision on who comes on are. So if it is, if I am being pitched an, another white man, mm. I need to be ultra critical and go, how much do I know about that person? Is it the right guest? Whereas if I'm being rarely pitched, cause, because I'd say 80% of the people I'm pitched are white men. Mm. And there are other twenty percent could be white women, b- b- black men, Asian, all, all sorts of different um, mm. agendas and races. But that's a tiny percentage. So I realised that I need to d- do more looking into how I can make that an interesting conversation, rather than go, I'm not familiar with that person, so yeah. I'm going to pass on that because I've got ten guests on all lined up this week. I had to go. Well, let's find a bit more out about their story and see if we can make it. And interesting, yeah. and it's benefited like the content. I think I've had some amazing guests since all of this was was put put forward at that point. So yeah, it's a really interesting thing, and I think it's. Did you find anyone putting the, their guard up? I guess because I think all of well, these things. The beauty is you have to be comfortable looking at yourself as well as other people, and that's the hardest yeah. thing often. Well, yeah, and it's so funny because I'm not. Um, <laughs> it's funny because on you know lately uh, Don Lemon in America on CNN was called openly black. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm not like a, I I say I'm not like a outside black like person. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not famous. I'm not out there. (laughs) And so when I did this, because I am a black person and I was talking about equality and you just read out the points and apart from point two, um, black isn't mentioned. Yeah. And so I was getting added in comments and people were, oh, does this mean white interns have to do all the free stuff now? And it's like, 
that's not what I said. Yeah. And then yeah. there was a business insider. That. Yeah, I never, I never said. I said everyone, we should all be paid. Yeah. Like, and and then um, there was a business insider article, and it was like Spotify signs um, equality and audio pact. And someone just didn't read the article; they just read the headline, saw my picture, and did a whole thing about how oh, more rap in Spotify. Then oh, do you even know how much rap is damaging the black community? Even should we even have more rap? And I was, and that was literally just from my picture and Spotify. And so it really, it really opened my eyes to just when people can't hear what I'm saying, they can hear black. And even the most, the point that people had the most problems with were point four, um, which is just um, making, appearing on panels that are representative. Because people, I said, representative of the cities, the towns and the industry they're in. So what I mean is, say you do a panel in Edinburgh, have someone from Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite simple. if it's a podcast industry one, make sure it's just not five white guys from London in Edinburgh yeah. talking about podcasting. Yeah. So it's like, be representative of the industry and where you are. People saw it as, oh, now every panel has to have a black person. Yeah. Again, not what I said. No. So, and it, and it just really, so that was main, the pushback was mainly point four. So many people, because I understand it, like, we want to promote ourselves. And, you know, you, wanna, you get invited to do a panel. Oh, yeah, wow, they asked me to do a panel. Just ask who else is on the panel. Yeah. And then ask, can it be more representative? The yeah. end. I didn't say don't do it. I said make it more representative if you're going to do it. And I have to, honestly, I turn down things all the time because they're not representative. If I can do it, you can. It's one of the best points on there because it puts, again, it makes it clear... No, this is on you. This yeah. isn't. It's, it's easy with most of these things to go. Oh, this is on someone else. It's on the organisers. Here's. Well, yeah. I would love it if panels were more representative, but, but I'm not organising panels, so it's not on me. Whereas this goes. Yeah. No, it is. If you're appearing on them, it's on you. You can turn around and go. Yeah. Well, how about this? And if not, then I'll, I'll skip this yeah, one. Yeah, like ask the question. Yeah. So it is, and so so many people try to push it onto their organisations, and I was like, actually, the reason why we came up with these five points is because anyone can do them. Yeah. That's the whole point. It can be a big company, but it also can be you as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, so there was just weird pushback on people trying to manoeuvre it. And then yeah. also me realising if I am saying it, people can't hear what I say. Yeah. Which is, was kind of annoying. <laughs> Fascinating, isn't it? Because, again, there's n- equally, there's nothing wrong with saying let's have some people of colour on panels as well. Even though that's yeah, not what you absolutely. were saying. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Like the yeah. the, the podcasting world has been so white male for a long time. And I think as as listeners, we can get very habitual. There's mm. Here's the podcast I've always listened to. I will always listen to it. And you stay in that circle. And working with Pod Bible has opened me, me, me up to three shots of tequila and the receipts and all sorts of other stuff that... This whole world of podcasting that has been pushed to happen now and is happening that probably aren't going to turn up on on um, on Richard Herring's podcast or, yeah, or exactly. on, on, on the circle of ones that I'll pop up here and pop up there. That's the beauty of it. That's that's why yeah. it's exciting. And I think if you are attending the podcast panel, it's always good when there's stuff you do. Like people always say about my podcast, they 
are excited for a name that they are already familiar with and want to listen to, but more often than not, the ones they enjoy the most is someone that they've never heard of. Yeah, exactly, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point of, like, what that the Equality Pact is trying to do is equality. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's for all of us, guys. It's for all of us. And so I just want to (laughs) write, like, we all need to rise and we all need to mix and we all need to be exposed to different voices yeah and we need to work with other people and realize that you can be a minority but you can also still like football yeah you can be a minority and like cheese yeah it's not just oh as a black child um cheese is really important to me because of blah blah no i just you know i actually don't like cheese but like you know (laughs) you can (laughs) and i don't like sports but um you know you can i'm just a normal person it doesn't yeah. need to be through a black lens. <laughs> Completely. And realising that we can all be multifaceted people yeah. rather than what you first get, a, the first image you get as you approach someone. I was chatting to Nihal. He was saying how he used to get b- backlash on his, his his BBC Five show whenever he'd have, have rappers on because he'd speak in a far more urban manner and... And people would be like, why are you trying to assimilate or whatever? And they go, oh, no, you've only heard me speak to, to Ricky Gervais or Stephen yeah. Fry. Nihal w- worked at Raucus in the 90s. He was PR for Most Def and for Method Man and Red Man. It's like, this is just a side of him you happen to have not seen before. And we've all got those sides. I, it, it, it jumped out to me because I do it all the time. Every time I'm talking to a rapper or anyone who's from the more common areas I'm from, I become more and more street. And any time <laughs> I'm speaking to Louis Theroux, I'm trying to impress him and be very, well, Louis, actually, the interesting <laughs> thing there is, but that's how we are as humans. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine how it must be to have those assumptions made on the colour of your skin rather than yeah. on, well, well, I've heard five podcasts, so now it's unusual that you're different. Whereas you're like, I've not even heard your voice yet. Yeah. I'm going to assume yeah, that you, you're talking about rap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a picture and assumed this is about rap then. <laughs> it was just, it really opened my, because I've not, I'm not, like I'm quite a, pro, you know, I'm a podcast producer, like yeah. um, I'm behind the scenes kind of person. And it just really opened my eyes to that people can't hear. Yeah. They don't, the, like, perception, because we talk about unconscious bias and, you know, a lot of people were learning about that last year. It really clouds what you're even able to ingest. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really opened my eyes because I was just like, no, I've not said anything about white people having to do all the free stuff. <laughs> I've yeah. not said white people are loud. Yeah. It's like, I never said any of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's just, yeah, so it's just because there's such clear, simple language, the five points. And I was just yeah. like, wow, people just can't hear it because they, or they just assume. I didn't even say anything. They just assumed what it was about. How, how much g- going over it was there before you released it? Because again, the clarity and simplicity is key, isn't it? That's why, it, yeah. you know, it's, so it is one of those things that there's always that concern with anything like that. As soon as you release it, someone will be well. I mean, as we see every time, um, a WhatsApp update their terms and conditions. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God, this means they own your soul. I've, I've read it. It's good. And they're all like, whoa, 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 guys. Guys, that's not what it means. But it's, a, it's all so complex that it's yeah. open to these wild, you know, things. Probably yeah. part of that is because they are trying to own your soul secretly. But yeah, how key was that to go, we're not going to have yeah. t- 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 10 points or 20 points. We're going to make it short, 
succinct and clear. Well, that's literally how I speak normally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big wordy person. Yeah. I'm very direct. Less words, the better. Yeah. And so we literally, like I say, it was a morning, like went away. And then B, one, I think it was point two, B said, frame it positively. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. which is key, keep things positive. And then out. we made the assets. Yeah. And that was it. And then put them out because we, I just wanted to, I, I, I'm like a short attention span. And also if I think of something, I'll have to do it. Yeah. Like yeah. now. So I would have released it that day, really. And I was like, we'll wait till tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that was long for me. But we, yeah. So it was just, but I just, I'm just a simple language type person. I love anyway. it. So I'm just like clarity. Oh, <laughs> one of my favourite lines ever is by a poet called Polar Bear. And it's just, why say in 10 words what you can say in two and why say in two words what you can shut the fuck up and do and it's just <laughs> it's so perfect it just it nails exactly. all of it to go right <laughs> particularly in the spoken word scene when there was a lot of people using a lot of words they didn't need to use it's like let's just yeah. let's just I cut mean, it down that's literally like that must have been about me because i used to get in trouble <laughs> i worked at a talent agency for 10 years yeah and when you work as an agent's assistant you don't care like Obviously, hi, happy, how are you, blah, blah. You don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what, uh, what is the information yeah. <laughs> we need? Let's so that's how, I'm, yeah, that's how I'm used to communicating. What is the information we're trying to convey? Yeah. And I used to get in trouble when I left the agency world. They're like, your emails are too abrupt. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just how I'm used to communicate because you, you just want the point. Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, what time do they need to be there? Like, when, tell we were, me. when we were lining this up, I thought, I need to go and check like what our last interaction was. And it was email. And both of us, it was about a <laughs> sentence and a half each. And we got on really well and worked together and you really helped everyone. Yet our, our final conversation was, here's this, this. All right, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but that's just, I'm just so used to it. And like people, I think people who haven't worked in that world would be like, oh, she hates me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, I'm just so used to just less words, the better. Yeah, <laughs> so that's completely. why the the way I thought of the the actual, you know, five points, it's like people can get on board with this. Not too many where you're like, oh, that's hard. And it's like, it's short, so you can kind of just get, get through it. Like you're not confused. And we just put it out. And I think that was the best decision we made. Like sometimes you can overthink things and complicate them. Completely. And it was like, sometimes... The most, the simplest, the cleanest idea, just do it. Yeah. And that's exactly what that was. And particularly in times like that, because the right thing to do when overthought can become a marketing campaign. Ah, and absolutely. that's what you don't want. So I think the, yeah. the key there is going, no, here's what we want to do. If we think about it for too many days, then we're turning it into a marketing thing rather than yeah. this is something that needs to be done for the industry and for the, yeah. the community as, as a whole. So, so how was it when it all started to, to to blow up obviously as you mentioned yeah people like <laughs> spotify signing and all these big companies all going yeah we're all gonna m- m- make this pledge and then i annoyingly i was recording a podcast but you did a town hall type you did a big thing of of having and the people like there were pod bible people there and distraction pieces people there to to fill me in on what went on but they were saying it was just amazing looking around at the the highs and lows of the industry everyone from the biggest Literally. companies to the most independent just a podcaster were yeah. all there like, so how w- one wondery were there they just sold for like 300 million yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> like they were there, like giving people were there. It was like it was crazy. And I'm not much of a public speaker. I probably need to learn one day. But I just I just wanted clarity. I wanted to give everyone a chance to ask me questions. Yeah. Because I know it came out of the blue and audio things, initiatives don't really happen like that. And they normally trickle through and like lots of, you, you know, you hear rumours talking and things yeah. like that. But I just wanted it out and I wanted to give everyone a chance. And we kind of got four companies to sign before we went out. So they Great. went, they were like our support. So we kind of went on as a united front. And then it just took off. I can't even describe, I honestly thought... Our goal was, I think, at the end of two weeks, I was like, oh, it'd be awesome if we had, like, 30 names. Yeah. Because <laughs> the goal was, like, oh, we'll release little videos to show who signed to encourage more people. Yeah. But by the end of the first week, like, which was three and a half days after we tweeted it, like, I think we had 150 signatures. BBC were on board. Like, Spotify were on board. Gimlet were on board. Wondery were on board. It was just mad. Bow yeah. what? Like, it was crazy. Yeah. And then it just skyrocketed and it just yeah just people yeah it just took off I think people needed to be able to do because I made that show about race with Renier Day Lodge obviously based on her book and she ends her book on you know people asking what can they do or when she was doing the book tour that's what people kept asking and we ended the series on the big question what can I do yeah people after June in June 2020 people wanted to know what can I do so I gave them five things they could do yeah so I think that's why people wanted to feel they were doing something. And so he was, so I think that's why it took off. And that's why people supported it so quickly because, and so willingly, because it was easy and it was, you can do something. And actually, if you do it in a year, in, a, in five years, in 10 years, the industry will change for the better. Yeah, completely. I think, so how's it been kind of after that initial excitement though? Because I think as we see with, big companies during the Black Lives Matter stuff, everyone was making their big statements. Mm, yeah. And then a lot of them weren't. That was, right, we've done that. And, and, and we've seen that in the past with, with, with absolutely anything within these big companies. I always remember, again, to be clear, I adore the BBC. I think they're the most essential thing and need to be protected at all costs. But I always remember years ago I pitched um, a spoken word show and they loved it. But they said, no, yeah, but we did um, Poetry Week last week. So, all right, so it's so that's it now. It's done now, is it? And again, that's again, it's the way things Poetry used to be. <laughs> Thankfully, everyone develops and moves. But that is so often the case that we've done that thing now and, and mm. you move on as you were. Yeah. How's that been? It's tough because I'm not an activist. Yeah. I'm also, I'm black and I am a minority and I am a woman. Yeah. So there are three things the audio industry hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was super energised to do for this thing, like for change. Yeah. But then it just wears you down, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're like, because I start, people started trying to use me as their kind of guard dog, their Rottweiler, like set me on this, this right. issue that they've spotted. I'm like, you spotted it though. You do something about it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've seen it. You told me. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's like, you, you can't just point me in a direction and I'll attack. Yeah. And so, at the moment, what, I'm, what we want to do is do a, um, a survey, an industry-wide survey of all the people who um, signed it to see, just to get a, you know, state of the industry. Literally, mm. this percent, X, Y, Z, da-da-da, stats. Because then you can, you've got something to directly measure year yeah. on year. The yeah. other thing that I want to do this year is to get one hundred thousand pounds 
and create an equality in audio fund. Yes. That people can apply to, and I want to give 10 people each year £10,000 to make a project. Because I think what is missing from the industry now in order to get equality is that there's a lack of where you can make things. So obviously podcasting is accessible but if we really want to uncover talent just the same way as you would in film or well in film you have to be able to make the thing yeah and find in order to generate work yeah and so that's what's missing that's what one of the big things that's missing in the uk is you have to get commissioned by the bbc and then you have to get teamed with a company who then steal your ip and then it's like then your career's (laughs) over (laughs) or you're stuck and it's like, or, if you or, can that's make really it independently... That's a really interesting sp- specific of it, though, the independent part. Because I think, yeah. like, to give them props, Spotify have done amazing w- workshops over the years and done mm. really good grassroots stuff to help people. But And whilst I believe they, they leave the IP in the hands of the creator and all this kind of thing, it's still... It's, it's always... It would be nice to have an option for this kind of thing outside of a multi-billion company again those guys are doing an amazing job and they need to keep doing that i I love it when the big companies are leading the way rather than just following on these things but Mm. you need that in independence as well and you need that independently and and stand alone rather than it only being the bbc have been told they need to do this or whatever else yeah exactly i know i wouldn't have the career i have now if i didn't get the art my arts council grant and was able to make about race yeah because that we made that completely independently with an arts council grant. If right, that didn't right. happen, I would probably have to still be working somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like doing the traditional route. And I'm like, we need to make opportunities so that more people can have the can have at least a chance like I did. Yeah. And yes, the arts council is still there, so that's always an option, but we need more options. Yeah. And just people often aren't aware of arts arts. Yeah, council yeah, stuff I did a talk. Like. I've I've yeah. always had loads of that where I remember in in uh, when I was coming up in the poetry scene, I'd do a gig with someone, and they'd be talking about all this funding they've just got for their next tour, or whatever. I'm like, S- someone's paying you to arrange to, to to write and to arrange. I was like, I need to get there, get good, and then hopefully get sell some CDs or something, you know. So it was, yeah, it was alien to me. But were you exposed to all that that kind of stuff earlier on? Because you you grew up in Essex, right? But what was your route? Yeah, I grew up in Essex and it was it was all just a luckily a chance. But I went to stage school at 14. I was like a weirdo as a kid and I used to buy the stage, you know the paper the newspaper yeah. from WH Smith every week when from age 11. Amazing. Like my dad used to pick me up on Sundays and I'd buy the stage and then I'd read about auditions for stage schools <laughs> and every week I'd ask my mum, "Can I go?" And she'd be like, no, we can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was 14, she was like, okay, we can, you can go. Well, audition. It was up yeah. to me to get in, obviously. Yeah. Um, but she finally caved and let me go because I was so, like, <laughs> consistent. <Persistent>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With every Sunday, this is what I would do. I love that you've shown it's not a fad. You put three no, years yeah, in. No, it's not, yeah, it's not a fad. <laughs> I would do this every Sunday since I was 11 and I yeah. would read the stage. Yeah. And so I went to stage school and then... That just opened me up to a whole new world of just life. Because I yeah. lived in Dagenham. I went to school in Hammersmith. So I used to commute every day on the district line. It just opened me up to a whole new world. When I was 16, I got into arts educational, um, Lane's Theatre Arts. 
And it was funny because they're two really good schools and I couldn't afford to go. So I ended up at the Brit School because I got yeah. in there as well, which is fine, uh, but uh, not as good. The, the Brit School <laughs> is an amazing one because it is that one that so many working class people get to go mm, to yeah. and be part of and not be the working class person in, at the school, as, as is yeah. often the case at the, at, at, at the, the other, other ones. The, yeah. the, the richer stage schools, you are almost the novelty. And yeah. I don't know if that always is 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 con- conducive of of helping you grow and learn because you're mm. you're always going to get that bit of attention because you're the common one do you know what i mean and, and that kind of thing so so i went to school so the the stage school i went to it was rich kids like the yeah. kid they had like farms yeah. and stuff they're yeah. like i'm not rich and i understand now because they're like you're not rich compared to really rich people yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 like do you have a billion dollars no but are you rich? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah. I get it now. I understand there's levels to richness, but they were rich, yeah. guys. Yeah. But it's like everyone treated me the same. I was one of two black kids in the whole school, but it just exposed me to. From there, I learned that I can go in. You can put me in any room, and I can have a conversation. Yeah. Like you can just leave me, and I'll be all right. Yeah. And it was, and that's from like you know studying prose and doing all the classes and all that stuff. But it was just that I was just put with. I went to like Paul Weller's kids were there and all sorts of stuff. Amazing. <laughs> and it was just like you just learn to, it just you know yeah. communicate Adapt. with just different people. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I went to the Brit school, like, that was free, like you say. And then I used to commute from Dagenham to Croydon. Again, you were just you just so just different people. Yeah. Like I remember a trans like a trans kid went and I was sixteen. So this was in two thousand ish or nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Yeah. No, or like two, early two thousands, and like we d- didn't care. Like you could just be yourself. Yeah. Like it just it didn't matter. Yeah, completely. And like because I don't think we had the language of trans back then. But we didn't care either way. <laughs> it was just, it was just. I just loved, and I love. I've always said, if I have kids, they're going to stage school at yeah. least at the weekends because you just learn how to live in the world. Yeah, I just think it's the best thing that my mum ever allowed me to do. I completely and, agree. Yeah. As again, it's a discussion I've had a, a few times recently. Is people, people, all the religious idiots or whatever who not religious idiots, all the people who, uh, again, I'm not anti-religion. As, as much as the, that may surprise people. A lot of the people who are anti-LGBTQ, all of the, the, the different mm. th- th- things there, they, they always argue, oh, but we shouldn't be teaching our kids this stuff and what would it do if we teach our kids this stuff? And the fact is, it's the opposite. Just sh- sh- show this to kids and kids do don't care. Yeah, yeah kids don't care. care. It's, 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 it's when you've got to the point of teaching them that, X and Y is normal and everything else is un- unusual, that's when it jumps ch- yeah. out as unusual. If you just show them everything from the start, there's no, you're not teaching them anything. It's just they take it and it's you that can't handle it. It's not yeah, you're saying it was, you're worried about your children. It's you that can't get your head around it. Your children will be fine with it. Yeah, no. it, just, it just was, you're just allowed to be... I, I just really enjoyed it. Like, I miss it. I always, like, joke, I'm a, quite a dramatic person. I'm like, well, I went to stage school. Like, I could be then. I had an outlet. <laughs> Because my life used to literally be an episode of fame. Like, people did sing in the canteen. Amazing. (laughs) And, like, you'd break into dance. Because that was just normal. So now when you're like, oh, no, where's where's my musical at lunch? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I need my dramatic outlet somewhere. But I just think you could just be yourself. I just loved it. And it's free. 
yeah. which is excellent Absolutely as well. Absolutely amazing. So, so yeah. what was your route from there into, into yeah, audio, so, I guess? Yeah, so basically after that, I <laughs> had a year where I tried to... I knew I couldn't act when I went to stage school, but you have an agent because that's kind of what goes hand in hand. So I was still going to auditions. And because I can't act, I can only play myself. Hmm. And <laughs> so my personality in the acting world is like the chubby friend. Right. Because I'm bubbly. Like, I'm, you know, my Essex accent used to be a lot deeper than it is now. I've still yeah. got it, but it was, it was more, more then. So I was always like the, the friend. That's my personality. Yeah. And, but I didn't, they always said, but I didn't look that way. Right. So I could never fit the part that I was, my personality is. Yeah. So I'd always get through to, um, and I could the, sing. I was quite a good the, singer, like the, musical. The reality voice. of you wouldn't be realistic on screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can't, you're not, you don't fit what you're saying. Yeah. Or how your acting does not fit. Because I'm the side, I had the personality of a sidekick. Right, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I was quite good at musicals as well, like singing. So I'd always get like, the, I'd always get a callback. Yeah. But then it'd be, so I remember auditioning for The Lion King <laughs> and I got a callback because it was like the first audition was singing and dance and I could do that. And then the, the, the callbacks always when they want you to act and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you had, so I always knew like, unless it was like they'd go on just personality or the singing and dance, I knew like when they want me to really act, I couldn't, yeah. I can't do it. I knew this would never pay me. Like yeah. I'd never be able to support myself acting because I just can't do it yeah um so I did that for a year just because why not and I in that time I'd got um into an audio degree um at Kingston University they have like this big studio and you can do sound engineering I got into that and my mum was like she knew I didn't really get on with teachers and anyone like I'm not really like into authority like I'm one of the only people there's only a handful who was banned from the Brit Awards at the Brit School. Oh, really? Um, like, everyone goes. I haven't been, ever. <laughs> everyone literally goes. Because they didn't like me. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so my mum was like, should you go to university? Should you really do this? And she was like, see what happens. She just encouraged me to see what happens in the year. Yeah. <laughs> and in that time, I really, when I was on set, I got into, I always spoke to the crew. Yeah. Because I was like, this acting thing is not going to work out for me. Yeah. What else can I do? Because I knew I wanted to be in entertainment. Yeah. So I'd always speak to the crew and like just meet people around. And I learned about agenting. And I was like, hey, that sounds interesting. So I just Googled where the famous people were represented in England. <laughs> <laughs> and I Googled Ricky, like our, who was our famous people at the time? They're still famous now. But like I Googled Ricky Gervais, Kira Knightley and Kate Winslet. Amazing. Turns out they were all repped by the same agency. And I was like, so this is where I need to work. This is the spot. <laughs> this is it. And so I just bought every job they had. I just sent in the CV. And obviously I wasn't qualified at all. So I didn't get any job. And then the post dream came up and I was like, well, I can do post. Yeah, come on. So I applied. I got in, got an interview, got the job. And then I was like, right, I'm in. So now I've got to make sure I don't ruin this and work yeah. my way up. Yeah. And so I just worked my way up and I ended up being at that company for around like seven years. And then I went to a different tele agency, Curtis Brown, came back, worked for United again. And then in that time, I was I 
kind of had gone and lived in the Rocky Mountains in Canada because I wanted to because I'd been working solidly from 14 even though I couldn't act I did solidly work yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) because when you're a kid as well all they care about is your personality yeah um so when I was 25 I was like I need a break so I went and like did a gap year um in the Rocky Mountains in Canada and that's when I loved life I was like wow this is the life and then I was like do I want to do being do I actually want to be an agent or do I want to get into production and make things? And that's when I made the switch in my mind to get into TV production. Because yeah. I've always loved TV. And so I got back, applied for loads of jobs, didn't get a single interview. Because I, they, you know, I didn't have experience again. So I did a sound, script um, development course at the NFTS part-time. As soon as that was on my CV, got interviews galore. Yeah. Um, so I ended yeah. up at... Um, Stephen Fry's production company and then that was based in a building called BBC Worldwide sorry I'm talking really fast now Um, but then one day um, Greg Brenman who was the head of drama at Tiger Aspect was walking through (laughs) the office and my friend at another company because BBC Worldwide building was just all of their production companies all in one place so he was meeting with someone else I was at another company and she worked at another company and she was like hey you should meet Greg because she knew he was starting his own company. And so she just introduced me. And then a couple of weeks later, he called. It was like, hey, would you like to come for an interview or apply? I sent my CV. I went to meet them. And then I got the job. And so I worked. uh, I was their first employee at Drama Republic and worked there for a couple of years, then went into production. Because I was like, I feel like I should. I like to know every inch of an industry, basically. I completely agree. So I was like, if you work in a production company you should work in production yeah and that's when i learned everyone hates everyone in production <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i was like oh my god they hate us here um Amazing. and so i did production for a year i worked on three productions three a like a massive period drama with paddy considine i did two of those and then i worked on 24 when jack bauer did the london oh, 24 wow. live another day yeah, yeah yeah and then i was like oh production they hate us i want to do something else and then that's when a cast came along yeah, <laughs> and then I got into audio, so I'd kind of done loads. <laughs> I love that it's the willingness to just jump in and 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 try things because again, at, at that part with Acast, they were you know a hand handful of desks in a small office. Again, mm. I, I joke about it with the guys who are still there now because it's I've moved with them from office to office until they've got this floor and studios and all sorts of stuff. So, but. How was that to kind of go, I'm going to take a risk on this podcasting thing? Because, again, particularly at that point, as I saw constantly, a lot of people thought it was a temporary thing. It's not going to be that big. It's it's a, a, a cottage industry as, as such. But you jumped in there early and, and I, continued, I guess. Yeah, I saw it. So I'd been in TV for a long time and I love TV, but I saw that I couldn't, um, I didn't, I always say I didn't sniff the top because yeah. why would I? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, just, yeah, yeah. who am I? I did work with, and I did work with some excellent agents yeah. who had excellent clients, you know, like Richard Curtis was rep there. Like I say, like Win- Kate Winslet and people like that. You Like excellent, excellent talent. Yeah. But I just saw it was such an established industry that could I really make a change here? Could I help shape this? And yeah. so when Acast came along and like, podcasting because I knew of podcasting I tried to start a podcast in like 2008 but I was like I think I could I could make a dent here yeah because I just knew my 
you know, a 15-year career previously in media, like in, the, in TV and, and like entertainment in general, would help. Yeah. And I just saw the opportunity of this new medium that kind of, you know, was had no gatekeepers really. You could yeah. just go and you could start it. You could find your indus- your audience. Yeah. And I just was like, do you know what? This is, this is where it's at. Because that's interesting because your 15-year career previously will have always been under someone with a 30-year yeah. career or a 40-year career. And, and, and those are, particularly at those areas in the industry, it is people have been there since the very early days. So it is that bit harder. As you say, there's, there's gatekeepers and gatekeepers is always seen as a, a bad term. There's often people who quite rightfully deserve to be the gatekeepers because mm, yeah. they've got, as I said, they've got 30 years of experience and yeah. know everyone in the industry. They're, yeah. of course, the right person in that role. But that's the exciting thing, I guess, of going, right, podcasting, I can start, I can be at the beginning where they were when they were starting off when yeah. film was only just blowing up. Because, again, we forget yeah. how young f- 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 film is, really, as this huge industry and TV yeah, as I well. I mean, I was so lucky that I worked kind of when I was in the other industries I kind of had worked at the top level of all of them yeah. luckily yeah. like so it was there was you know it's always opportunity and preparation luck it yeah. was my timing was impeccable I guess because I did <laughs> luckily get into the top of you know if I was at a talent agency I was at the best talent agency yeah. in the yeah, like yeah, Europe yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so lucky that like Greg Brenman he's the best boss I've ever had but he you know he was the exec producer of um, Billy Elliot mm-hmm. um Peaky Blinders um, you know, Ripper Street, like loads, like his stats yeah. are incredible. And I was, I was their first employee. So I was able to learn yeah. directly from this guy who knows everything yeah, about amazing. creative industry. So I was able to take that and then put it in when I was at ACAST to see, because one of my things I would do when I reached out to you, I would always just reach out to podcasters, go for a chat. Yeah. And so when I was doing that when I got into ACAST and then saw that this is a whole new industry we can shape one of the things I always did was just reach out to podcasters and meet some I tried to sign some I was just trying to offer advice because when I was when we started there was like four POC podcasts yeah and I was so when they started coming up I didn't want them to make mistakes and try and you know think about ad revenue too quick or all this it's like grow an engaged audience yeah. Like think about that first. And so I just meet loads of people and try and get people to work together. Yeah. And just kind of build that community. And I just saw, yeah, that's how I thought is the way to shape like podcasting. Cause that is how the TV and film industry shaped itself. Yeah. We're, we're seeing the later, like now you're like, Oh, it's so hard to get into blah, 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 blah. Everyone knows each other for a reason. Yeah. yeah. They do. Completely. <laughs> because and- they, they did do it together. Yeah, or, or or those industries, particularly as they were were building, were all about those gentlemen's clubs and 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 the bar at the BBC or wherever else and all these things. So it is from people being in this in the same rooms. And the the problem with podcasting is you tend, particularly in those days, you tend to record it on your own at home. Yeah. So there isn't yeah. those social things. It's one of the reasons we started Pod Bible because the idea was to go right. We want this to be. A social thing we want to bring people together we want to have Acast and Spotify and Audible and whomever else all working with us and therefore all coming t- together but then equally mm. when it got thrown out by the pandemic but our launch events the point of them was always to say look if you've got a podcast 
we're going to have people here from everywhere yeah. in the industry, and it's going to be every other month. So just come down. Uh, we always had an hour before the panel actually began, and just said, "Look, just chat, hang out, socialise, yeah. have m- make those rooms that weren't th- that were there in TV and film, but because of the nature of podcasting, aren't there in podcasting." Yeah, and we need to make them, and and that's just what I think. That's why I'm so glad I had the experience I had before. Yeah, because it is. I I understand. I've been able to manoeuvre this audio industry because of the experience I've had. Yeah. previously and how it's so important like everyone knows everyone jokes about you know agents assistants you know they're not going to be the assistant forever yeah yeah like it's a fact yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so so why are we why are you like looping out like an assistant or someone who's a runner yeah. they're not you don't stay those things yeah. but i wasn't clearly i wasn't in the post room yeah yeah <laughs> whatever my, yes, I started there, but like, look at me now. <laughs> my, my writing agents, like script writing agents, assistant is one of the best people I interact with on in in this industry because because again, she's really like, yeah, she's the one that has to be that at the front line. Yeah, you have to be. Engaging. You have to be in it. You have to be on it. You have to. What's coming out? Am I going? Well, we can't go to the theatre at the yeah. moment. But like, yeah. am I going to see shows? Am I seeing the film? You like, you have to be on it. Yeah. Like, are you reading Deadline every day? Variety. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, who's casting what? Where should, you, you have to, and I think that's what we need in podcast. I think we just need more community, like actual community. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to build with Broccoli, at least to create paid opportunities, but also just to bring, it's not, I don't want all the opportunities. Yeah. I don't want, if you're trying to be diverse, don't be like, oh, let's contact Rene. Yeah. <laughs> let's have a look at, around. What is, what is there? Because I'm also one person and my experience is very specific. Yeah. So, like, it's we need to just branch out, basically. Work with people you don't know, um, interact with people you don't know, and, yeah, we just need to build community and just take those things and make this industry, like, bigger and better lo- and, I- like, prosperous for all of us, to be honest. I love it, and I think that's the perfect <laughs> note to end on. That's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you very much. It's been lovely having yeah, a good old catch-up. Excellent. Thank you for having me. All right, bye. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that and found it as fascinating as I did. Really, Renee's great. One of the reasons I wanted to get her on was because I'm aware that when anything happens that's like a social change thing or a social justice thing, people think it's going to be all really dry and serious because it's serious subjects and that's what is needed sometimes. But Having known Renee for a while, I know that she's a wonderfully lovely and exciting and excitable and excited, all of the excites person. So I wanted to get her on mic and and have a chat and uh, and discuss it all. And I'm really glad we did. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with a recent Golden Globe nominee or Longlist nominee. I'm not sure. One or the other. Nominee, I think. I'm not sure where we are at the the point in the announcements and whatnot but yeah it's an exciting one but until then stay safe stay sane and stay incredibly sexy ta-ta